This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. That's right. This is Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And your entering host, Daryl Ong, stepping in for Cam Rathan, who's quite literally on the injury table. But uh, fret not, he'll be back pretty soon. Uh, Two-prong attack in terms of pundits this evening. Uh, we have Arvin Sidhu. Welcome back to the program, Arvin. Thanks, Daryl. It's always good to be here on a Monday. Best way to start the week. <laughs> uh, season debut as well for Sean Malhotra. It's good to be back. It's been a long while. It's a great day to be back. <laughs> yeah, we'll get on to that pretty soon. Uh, but before we kickstart the show, um, we need to talk a bit about the tragedy that happened in Indonesia. Uh, at least uh, 125 people, including 17 children, lost their lives uh, during Arema FC versus Persabaya Surabaya. A really dark moment for football. I mean, we always knew that Indonesian football fandom was on a different level, but this this is really dark and it doesn't serve it justice does it it doesn't i mean when you actually now that the, the count i think has gone up to about i think about 170 plus mm. 180 that was always going to be the case when you bring all the casualties to the hospitals you would lose more along the way so it's just a, a situation that's con- continuously escalating um there was frustration obviously from the part of the the, the losing home team at that time when mm. the, the, the pitch invasion came on um but in this kind of scenario um, Indonesia has had this 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 type of I would say dark side of football that needs to be eradicated um, for a while now. Officers had, tear, had fired tear gas. It seems that wasn't the SOP. But then when you ask yourself the question, could the officers have done anything else to mm. kind of bring bring calm to that situation? Maybe they could not have. Um, but yeah, the, the scenes that we we saw online, you can see them on photos. They are they are worldwide news. Yeah. It's the worst worst incident that's happened in half a century. Mm. And when we think of other incidences that have happened around the world, when you think of of, of Liverpool with with Hillsborough and such like that, these kind of things take a long long time to get over. So yeah, it's a really really dark day for for Indonesian football and something that we we need to eradicate from the game. And there's a lot of parties involved that need to look at themselves because fans, organisers, um, the media sometimes doesn't help as well. So yeah, yeah, just really, really unfortunate scenes to be honest. Yeah, really dark weekend. Uh, one of the world's deadliest sporting stadium disasters. But uh, respects to the family, uh, families of the victims involved. Uh, Alright, let's kickstart the show now. We're going to go start with the North London derby. Arsenal 3, Spurs 1, Thomas Partey, Gabriel Jesus and Granit Xhaka scoring for Arsenal. Wow, a penalty from Harry Kane. Arsenal really, you know, Keeping their good start to the season, they are one point off the lead now of Man City. But I want to talk. I want to zoom in on one player. In my opinion, it's the man of the match, Granit Xhaka. He really bossed the game uh, with a more attacking role uh, for Arsenal. And if you ask me a few seasons ago, you know there was a whole kerfuffle with uh, Granit Xhaka whether he'll make it back to Arsenal. We wanted to leave. Sean, redemption arch for Granit Xhaka completed. I still think he has a lot more to do, but he's got back into the good books of the Arsenal fans. Because to think about it, right, if you think about any other player who's a captain for a club, doesn't have to be a big club or whatever, but any club. If you take off your armband, you throw it to the ground, you look at the fans in a weird way, you're never going to earn their respect back for mm. such a thing. Yeah. But you got to give credit to the guy, I think. And you got to give more credit to Mikel Arteta. He started to play him in a position that is very familiar for him with the Swiss national team. It's very much his position mm. and he's got the cover that he needs next to him now you know there was a time where you looked at Arsenal's team whether it was their midfield and their defense you couldn't trust anyone now you have these 
players that you really can put your trust in. In Thomas Partey, you know you're going to get that defensive screening. You know, yeah. Shaka has that move, that freedom to go forward. He's mm. a leader. Don't let's not get it wrong. Mm. I look at Arsenal. You have leaders all across the pitch now. There used to be a time where I'd be like, maybe one at best. Xhaka has a lot more to do, but I think he's in the right track right now. He's someone I would trust in your midfield now. He's still susceptible to getting you those bookings. I was talking with my buddy about it over the weekend. The one thing you never have to worry about Xhaka is he won't get injured, so he won't miss those games. But he will get suspended, so he will miss games. And mm. the thing is, Arsenal doesn't have the right cover if he gets injured or, or suspended at that point. But I think he's on the right path to that redemption up. Mm. It really was a great game to watch. Uh, however, Emerson Royale's red card really killed off what um, the flow to the game. Um, Emerson Royale, it's really silly uh, red card for him to to get, isn't it, Alvin? Yeah, I think just born out of frustration. I was reading an article before the game that Emerson Royale had spent about a hundred one million of his own money to kind of upgrade himself from perspective of his physique and his nutrition. So he was doing a lot of things outside the club so that that didn't bode well for that game itself mm. uh, Antonio Conte just needs to come up and I, I'm a big fan of Antonio Conte because I think he's a results based manager mm. we have a lot nowadays we don't have managers that focus that much on results there's more focus on excuses but Antonio Conte needs to come on and just acknowledge that that was a red uh, and move on on the day itself they didn't have enough of the ball they really struggled at, at, at points. Sun was completely out of the game. Obviously, they were missing the likes of Dejan Kulubeski, but you need to do a little bit more than they did on the day itself. And it's a big win for Arsenal. Whatever you say, Andren, it's a big win. The only game that Arsenal haven't won is the way the one away at, at, at Man United. Yeah. But even on that day itself, obviously, the United keep that result, but Arsenal played well. Yeah, they, they played did. well on that game. Mm. So the only game that I think Arsenal hasn't sh- shown up was actually the first game away at Crystal Palace where they were a bit fortunate. But other than that, I think their performances have merited where they are. So, Mikel Ateta, big props for him. He's doing a lot, lot of good things at Arsenal at this moment in time. Definitely. And the signing of Gabriel Jesus. He's the first Brazilian to score on the North London derby since Julio Baptista uh, in January 2007. So really, what an astute signing from Ateta, isn't it, Sean? No, I, I, I was saying it at the start of the season to, to anyone... He was the perfect striker for Ateta's system. If you think about it, when he was playing at City, he was never really playing as a number nine. He was playing off the wing. He was doing what he needed to do for Pep, right? Mm. At Arsenal, he's going to be the star guy. And you've got two really good wingers at Arsenal. You've got Martinelli on your left, and then you've got Saka on the right. So no matter what happens, Jesus is going to get the, the, the service he needs. And right behind him, he has Odegaard who I think has a shout for Young Player of the Year so far. Jesus has everything he could possibly need at Arsenal now. At City, he was one of many. At Arsenal, he's the guy. Mm. Right? He's going to get all the service you need. You know he's going to score 15-20 goals this season in total. Mm. So I think it's about time that he got this, this shining role, you know. And he's still really young. He fits the system perfectly. It's a match made in Arsenal heaven. It works out both ways, right? Arteta knew Gabriel Jesus from his mm-hmm. time in Man City as well. Uh, next, com- next test coming up for Arsenal is against Liverpool. And based on current form, Arvin, Arteta must be licking his lips at this prospect. Yeah, I think he would. I mean, based on his current form and based on the situation that Liverpool find themselves in right now, Liverpool haven't started well it's at all. I think that the community shield was a bit of a false dawn. Mm. I was telling a friend as well that I just feel this Liverpool isn't the same since they lost that Champions League final. Something seems... To not be working at this moment in time. Uh, the loss of Saudi money is not just a loss offensively, but defensively, it's a big loss for them as well. Trent is getting exposed. Yeah. Robertson is in and out of the squad. Van Dijk, I don't know what's happened to Van Dijk, and that's a huge concern for Liverpool. And the worst thing is, I've, I've 
Klopp had actually come out quite I mean, we'll talk about that game later, but Klopp actually had come out and said that post the game on the weekend, this was the Liverpool that he saw when he first arrived. Mm. So they've got a lot of things to sort out. But Arsenal will go. I mean, there's no better uplift than winning a North London derby comprehensively. So I, 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 I will be backing Arsenal on that one. Yeah, now let's head to Liverpool now. Liverpool, nine of the table, 3-3 three, three against Brighton and Hove Albin. Um, what Graham Potter hangover, you know, the Italian Roboto Di Zerbi really proving that he can get the result at least at the highest level or do you think this is just a honeymoon period for him, Sean? I think if you look at Brighton, right, they have a system that already works, right, which they've built over years now, three, four years, I think. Offensively, they're dangerous. If you watch that game, they could have scored five, six yeah. in that game, right? Danny Welbeck missed a really good chance, I think twice. Trossard could have scored two more. They have a system that you can look at and you go, you know what? This can work for the next three, four years. Doesn't matter who they bring in. And the thing is, I don't know much about Roberto De Zerbi, but I would think they would have brought in someone with the same image as Graham Potter that can carry out the same work, mm. right? With the players that he still has. And come on, to score a hat-trick at Anfield is no small... Small, small thing to talk about. It's a huge thing. Yeah, you could say, you know, defensively, Liverpool could have been better. But on its on the day, the better team was Brighton, mm. right? Liverpool came back into it. I think Firmino is having, you talk about redemption arcs. Firmino is showing that, you know, he's still the guy who can bang in goals for you and get the other guy, 80 million guy, sitting down on the bench, you know? Like, like Arvin was saying just now, I don't know what's going on with Liverpool, but I think all the credit in the world needs to be given to Brighton. They played exceptionally and they've done that throughout this season so far. Yeah, for sure. Leandro Trossa, like you mentioned, was really sublime. Another fact for you guys, he's the first uh, player to score a hat-trick at Anfield since Andre Arshavin in that, in that 4-4 thriller. Um, Arvin, Trossa, um, all those chances were, you know, not not to say full chances, almost half chances, right? And all with his left foot as well, if I recall um, correctly. Um, do you think he's definitely on the plane to Qatar for Roberto Martinez? I think he is. I mean, he, he, the, the Belgium squad is, is packed with talent, but you can always use a Leandro Trossard. The beautiful story of Brighton is that season on season, you look at players like Pascal Gross, you see, look at players like Leandro Trossard, you look at players like Solly March, yeah. that the probing crosses and then the perfectly weighted passes over the weekend, they've just improved year on year. So for me, that's that's a, that's a nice sign of evolution of a, of a squad where you've put trust in players, you've given them patience, you've spent time with them on the training pitch. And they've just got better and better. If if Leandro Trossard didn't show up on this day, uh, he didn't show up in the first, when they played Man United in the first game. Pascal Gross shows up, so yeah. it's it's at that scenario that you Brighton find themselves in right now. And Roberto De Zerbi, I mean, for me, he is someone who you talk, you talk about a scenario where he was actually escaping grenades literally in Ukraine for his last job to come over right now and to take on the role at Brighton. They've done quite extensive amount of research to ensure that he can carry on the Grand Potter's project. The only concern with Roberto De Zerbi for me is that he's a bit of a journeyman. If you look, he doesn't stay at clubs for a very long time. So any club would have had the initial bounce when the new manager comes in. Yeah. Let's see if he can sustain it. But it's the right profile and there are players that continue over time. So um, I think the only down spot for Brighton the day was Roberto Sanchez. Where he looked a bit uncertain. But other than that, the other 10 players were great. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Brighton sit pretty in fourth place in the table now. Liverpool, though, a nine spot. But, you know, that being said, I felt that Klopp really 
in a way underestimated Brighton uh, Luis Diaz like um, Sean rightly mentioned Darwin Nunes and Diogo Jota were all on the bench as well as you know you, you were mentioning Arvin how Klopp um, saw this as going back to square one almost the Liverpool he saw when he first came to Anfield but I don't know feeling for me Liverpool although they you know had a really poor start to the season you can never put it past them to turn it up right um, throughout, throughout the whole season they might you know just you know, possibly still win it at the end of the day. They could click into gear at any point. Mm. I think Arvin will agree with me on that. It's a Liverpool yeah. team that's stacked with talent. Yeah, but I just feel like, and I agree with you, Daryl, almost at times that there's a certain, and I don't like to say this about Klopp's teams, but there was a certain arrogance in, the, in their defending that they didn't need to give 100% on the day and they got punished. Mm. Even their comeback for me, obviously they, 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 got, they, got, they got a hit with three goals. It came across more of, Sheer will instead of playing well on the pitch because they've got better players than Brighton. Um, but then they weren't able to sustain it. And it's just a very underwhelming start to the season. They've got Arsenal next, then they've got City after that. Mm. And we, we, we don't we shouldn't forget what Napoli did to them in the Champions League. So Liverpool haven't started well, and the longer it continues, the league they will lose, and then they've only got potential to maybe get a good run in the cup. So they need to fix it sooner rather than later. Hmm. All right, we're going to go off to a break now on Just for Kicks, but coming in soon, uh, Derby weekend, right? We're going to talk Man City versus Manchester United right here on Just for Kicks. Stay tuned. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. I'm your host, Daryl, with Arvin Sidhu and Sean Malhotra. Right, we're going to head off to Manchester now. Uh, really sad day for both me and Sean. Uh, Manchester City 6, Manchester United 3. Sad weekend, but the scary part is, guys, this is not even a full-strength City. You know, there was no Diaz, there was no Rodri and there was no Stones I think Gundogan really filled that role by uh, left absent by Rodri to perfection and I don't know Sean what are your reactions to, to the match you know so many people expected me to be really upset or to be really down after this loss but I compare it to, to United losing to Liverpool and uh, at Old Trafford last season right United lost 5-0 yeah. that was depressing this was just sheer outclass from a Manchester City team. And yeah, they didn't have Rodri, they didn't have Diaz and Stones. But you know what? I, I mean, when I saw Ake and Akanji in defence, the first thought that came to my mind was the only reason those two guys are there is to deal with the pace that the front three that United have. And true enough, the front three couldn't do anything in the first half. They couldn't get anywhere near the ball mm. because these guys were having the easiest time you know, across the halfway line. Take away City's defence. Take away Edison having nothing to do. Take away Gundogan. And, uh, just look at De Bruyne, Foden and Haaland. These three guys destroyed United almost single-handedly. Mm. I, 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 I thought back at one point during the game, I think it was already at 4-0 at halftime at that point. And I said, you know, when I was younger, I used to be terrified. I used to think like, wow, Ronaldo is amazing going up against all these teams. Man, they must be terrified watching him play. I felt that for the first time watching Haaland play against yeah. United. Yeah. Every time he got near the ball, I, I was so sure it was going to go into the back of the net. And if I'm not mistaken, out of his five shots, three of them <laughs> were gold. So he's effective yet again. Yeah. It's just pure brilliance from City. I hate them, but you can't you know, look past it. It's just brilliance. Yeah, man. Erling Haaland, the first player in the competition to score hat-tricks in three home matches in a row. He now has as many hat-tricks as Ronaldo, Vardy and Lampard. Erling Haaland, a hat-trick as well as Phil Foden, a hat-trick. I mean, like you mentioned, you know, the rest of the, the league is scared of Haaland in a certain way. And we always, there's no doubt about his ability. But to get off running like this, just at the start, you know, it's really superhuman abilities from, from Haaland, Alvin. Yes, um... 
when you look at that game, that first half performance, you put any other squad out there, they would have they would have been losing four 0 Yeah, it's 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 the reality of it. Any other squad on that the way that City were playing, any other team would have been losing 4-0. Mm. Or with Haaland, for me, the very scary pr- prospect is that you've got players, this players that have got exceptionally good positional sense and then you've got players who've got exceptionally good technique of goal scoring. He's got both yeah. and he's got speed. That's what that's what is a very, very scary proposition for anyone out there right now. He's a player that on in his day himself, like what we've seen, Pep has actually come up post the game and say he wishes Haaland to have more touches of the ball. Haaland probably doesn't need to yeah. because the, the little chances that he get, he's just going to put them away. And the stats are crazy. I mean, eight games to score three hat-tricks in the Premier League. I, I don't think we will ever see that in our lifetime, to be honest. Yeah. He's running down the the, the the total Champions League goals for, for Ronaldo at the stage that where he's at right now and where Ronaldo is, he's way ahead than Ronaldo and Messi. Mm. The only thing is that he won't get the international goals for Norway. But if you're looking at club goals, this is a very, very scary proposition. And yeah, some fans would have said that he got he gets injured at Dortmund. But when you when you take players out of clubs and you go to other clubs with different ways of treating injuries, it's a, there's no guarantee that he's going to be injured at City at all. Yeah. Pep will know how to use him. So yeah, um, Man United, for me, uh, any other team would have been losing 4-0. But there was one bit that I looked at that Man United lineup and in midfield they could have. I just felt playing Ericsson and Bruno didn't work. You needed someone, and I'm a big Casimiro fan. I'm not saying it's Casimiro, even Fred. You needed someone with a little bit more legs to control things. So for me, that was where Eric Tanhan got it wrong. And then obviously your right back and your left back getting early bookings never helps. Uh, but yeah, City were just dominant. 4-0, I think they took their, their foot off the gas. And that's why Sean doesn't feel too bad because he's got three points. But, <laughs> but if City a, didn't take their foot off the gas, it would have been much worse, Sean. But on, on another note, right? I think a player that deserves a lot of credit that probably gets way too much hate was Jack Grealish. I think he had his yeah. best game in a Manchester yeah. City jersey. Right. Okay. Mm. He got Dalo booked in the first two minutes of the game. After that, Dalo yeah. didn't look like he could do anything. Couldn't get close to Grealish. Yeah. I think the, the unsung hero on the day, you look at all the big players, Grealish was one of those. He was outstanding. Yeah. For sure. Okay. For sure. Uh, Manchester United really got played uh, off the park. But Sean, I want to ask you, three goals away from home, especially at the Itihad, is this a silver lining or a flattering scoreline for you? I look at it as the job was done in the first half, right? I'm not going to be one of those fans that were like, oh, you know, if you take the second half, scoreline was 3-2. We won United. the second half. Yeah, we won the second <laughs> half. But Pep had already taken off so many of his players, right? He took off pretty much his entire midfield. Mm. He, he didn't need... He needed to just consolidate that, that scoreline, that win already at that point. I look at it as Anthony scored probably the best goal of the game, right? Outstanding goal. But aside from cool. that, he did nothing in the game. Mm. Right, he didn't help Dalo defensively, which he should have. Same with Jaden Sancho down the left. Anthony Martial, I am so happy to see him come back from injury. He put a shift in. I was saying this last night. You know, United didn't have a focal point up front. Rashford didn't look ready to do anything. He looked for the channels, but Ericsson was phased out of the game entirely. Which means Bruno gets phased out of the game. Which means nothing goes towards Rashford. But when you had Martial on, United could just hoof the ball, and he'd be ready. He'd yeah. be there. To, so to score three goals at the Etihad is a, a big thing because you know not many teams would be able to do it. But you also have to look at the other side of it. Manchester United lands six goals against Manchester City, not for the first time. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, Manchester City now second in the league. Manchester United sixth. Okay, we head over now to Leeds United to sit in 12s. Nil-nil against Aston Villa. Uh, Leeds, though, uh, Alvin, you know, maintain their unbeaten record at home. Playing a majority of the second half with 10 men, right? This is the first away point for Aston Villa. Um, maybe just as generally, what are your reaction to the game? A fair result for both teams? Yeah, um, Villa had a bit more chances than Leeds, but Leeds had a couple of chances as well. You ask any 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 team out there if you're down to ten men for more than a half more than half an hour, you would want to come away with at least a draw. Um, a clean sheet is important because under Marcelo Bielsa's reign, Leeds never kept clean sheets, but they mm. kept a clean sheet against Chelsea. They kept a clean sheet against Villa last night, so so Leeds would have come away the happier. Um, after that game mm. but before the match when you look at teams that have come to Allen Road like the likes of Aston Villa the likes of Everton those are teams that you kind of need to try and get those three points because at the end of the season those are the teams that will be there and there about having battling each other out to ensure that we don't fall into the bottom three but when you look at the context of what had happened with a very very daft sending off by Luis Sinistera he needs to know better than that Leeds would have been happy and Liam Cooper being back is crucial for Leeds because without him there's no one in that defense that organizes things. So mm. yeah, happy, good, good battling performance. Uh, but should have got three points if they had eleven players on the pitch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the one that sent off, like you mentioned, Luis Sinistera, which come after a few good weeks for the Colombian. Uh, Avin, I'll be honest, I don't know too much about uh, this guy. Is he a worthy replacement for Rafinha so far? I mean, when Rafinha came, no one really thought much about him from his time at Rennes. Um, Luis Sinistera has got an ex- excellent goal-scoring record, not just for his previous club, but also with Colombia as well. Assist goals, a little bit of a different physical stature than Rafinha. Rafinha plays on the right, Sinister is more on the left. Sinister is a bit more grounded, a little bit more smaller in size, but he's a creative outlet that Leeds have have needed. And it's an important investment. Um, What Leeds have done is obviously when you let someone like Rafinha go and Calvin Phillips, which are the two best players, you need to spread things around. So Mm -hmm. you bring in the likes of Sinister, Brandon Aronson, Mark Roca, you spread things around. And me and Sean were talking last night that Sinister actually had a better goal-scoring record and an assist record compared to Anthony last season ah. in the Dutch Eredivisie. Um, so he's an important player, but he needs to learn. In the Premier League, there will be players out there trying to get you sent off and the least you need to do is block a free kick the way he did. So uh, a steep learning curve for Louis Sinister, but a good player. Alright, we head over now to another London derby and it's not much talked about. Crystal Palace 1, Chelsea 2... What a goal from Conor Gallagher um, in the ninetieth minute to steal three points versus his old team as well, Sean. Mm-hmm. I watched this game and all I could think of was Chelsea were really poor for 90 minutes yet again. Their midfield is lacking in any sense of creativity. Defensively, you could say, yeah, maybe they're, they're more better in that kind of sense, but attacking me, they don't look good at all. I don't know what's up with the likes of Havertz, Mount and all. These are good players. They're really, really good players, but... They just look so slow. Mm. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm not putting it on Graham Potter. He needs time to implement what he's done at Brighton to Chelsea. But you're not seeing any glimpses of that yet at Chelsea. Mm. It's going to take time. But, you know, it's a smash and grab. Sometimes you need these kind of games. And I think Chelsea needed a, a win. Mm. You know, the amount of performances that they put through, which is really poor for a team in the top five. And I'm one to talk being a United fan, right? But Chelsea have played really poorly. So to get these three points in the way he did, Conor Gallagher's goal was probably one of the best goals of the weekend. Yeah. It's a huge three points for them. Yeah. It's a huge three points. 
Yeah, another good talking point is Obama Yang finally getting off the mark for Chelsea. Alvin, could he break that whole Doom number nine shirt for Chelsea? Could he be the man to bring the goods? He could because he's got a narrative of a different story where he was left, he was kicked out of Arsenal in a way by Mikel Arteta for disparate issues. He mm. went to Barcelona and then when Barcelona got more nicer, shiny toys in Robert Lewandowski and Rafinha, they let him go. Um, he's come in. He's obviously had a bit of an injury with a jaw issue, but he's come in and he was a, he was a good taken goal of the weekend. He was a very good instinctive type of striker's uh, finish. So, yeah, if anyone can do it, it is him. Um, it's just with Aubameyang, you have the scenario where it's that disparate side of him. Will he show up to training on time? <laughs> Will he not sulk in games? If Graham Potter can get him on his side, he's a very, very useful asset. Uh, Reese James, for me, again, was Chelsea's probably best player um, and he's been like that this season. He kept Zaha really quiet in the first half uh, to the point that Zaha had to kind of change sides. But I agree, with in, in the middle of the park, it's just a lot of very, what we used to call them as water carriers like Didier Deschamps, ex-Chelsea, he was a water carrier. You had the likes of like Jorginho and Matthew Kovacic and they just, they're not dynamic to move forward at this moment in time. Maybe Thomas Tuchel ingrained them with them so he needs to grand Potter to bring that out of them again. But until they sort things out in the middle of the park, you just don't see a lot of goals and you just don't see a lot of excitement with Chelsea. But Todd Burley made a choice and Graham Potter plays exciting, interesting football. So give it a bit of time. We'll see a different Chelsea in a couple of weeks, I'm sure. Yeah, time will tell. And I really love that term, by the way, water carrier. <laughs> going to start using it. <laughs> right, just for kids, coming up, we're going to round up the rest of the EPL matches right here on BFM 89.9. We're back on Just For Kicks. I'm Daryl with Arvin Sidhu and Sean Mahotra. We're going to round down the rest of the EPL matches that played out over the last weekend. We're going to start off with West Ham, who's sitting 15, 2-0 against Wolves, who's sitting 18. Wolves are winless in eight Premier League away games. After Right after this... Um, Wolves dropped to the bottom tree and Bruno Large was dismissed. Shocking to you guys, Arvin? No. And I wish Kish was on this show because Kish has been a huge Bruno Large fan and a couple of weeks ago he had said that Bruno Large was going to be safe this season. He's going to do great things. But no, it's been it's been coming for a while right now. He's only been there for 15 months. Uh, the board obviously felt, felt the need to meet and... Um, They've tried to help him out this by bringing in Diego Costa, who, who came who came off and tried to, to do a little bit of different things. But third loss of the season, dropping them into the relegation zone um, on the day itself. When you look at players like Nelson Semedo coming in for the suspended Nathan Collins, didn't do much. Gonzalo Cuedes is very lightweight up front. Max Kilman, which is typically their most reliable defender, and that was the reason why they allowed Conor Gordy to go to Everton, mm-hmm. also struggled to hold down the defence. Um, there was very, very good things, very, very few good things to look at Wolves. And when you see that kind of a scenario, you feel like the one that will go is the manager. They've spent a lot of money on Matthias Nunes as well. Uh, and he hasn't got the best out of him. So Bruno Large, um, it's it's a tough business right now. I mean, we look at the managers that have lost their jobs so far. I mean, you look at Thomas Tuchel, who a lot of people felt that uh, was very unharsh, very, very harshly let go. Mm. Nothing surprises me with managers being let go. And Bruno Large, for me, had it coming. So... I'll be very interested to see who they appoint now into that position. Yeah, I was about to. I was just about to ask. You know, who's the who's in the market now in terms of managers? Who can most possibly bring in? I don't know. To be honest, when you look at, uh, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, you mean obviously the old the old guard of the managers won't come back again. The ones that you always expect to come in and do a job to save you. Mm. On top of my mind, I I really can't think of anyone 
that would come in and do that Wolves job. I wouldn't be surprised they go and make another Portuguese appointment because of the history that they have and the influence that that uh, Jorge Mendes has on that 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 particular squad. But I really can't think of anyone at this mm. moment in time. Sounds like a job for Harry Redknapp or <laughs> Sam Allardyce. <laughs> um, Sean, Jared Bowen, his first Premier League goal of the season. He seemed to mellow down a little bit for the start of this season as compared to the cracking season he had uh, last season. Um, do you think he's still in contention uh, for going to Qatar for England, Sean? I think there are a lot of really good English players that have good contention to enter that English team for the World Cup. But there's a method to think of whether they'll even get to touch grass on the day that they're in Qatar. Because Gareth Southgate, I don't think, you know, he said this a few months ago or a year ago where he said he would pick players based off how well they're performing. You look at his latest English selection and his 11, those are not players who are performing. Mount, Maguire. So I look at it as you, you could perform out of your skin. Good example is Tomori. Played out of his skin for AC Milan. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. English play against the Italians. Tomori doesn't even get to play. So to me, it's like I, I think he has a great chance to enter to fill the gap you know, for the numbers to go to Qatar. But whether or not he gets to play, I doubt it You know, mm. right now. He would have to do something exceptional and I, I, on the point of, you know, Jared Bowen only getting his first goal of the season for, for West Ham, then you got to look at West Ham as a whole. The whole team isn't ex- exactly performing as well as they were last season. So that's something that needs to be addressed. Mm, for sure. Um, West Ham in 15, Wolves in 18. Uh, we're going to go now to Bournemouth, Nail. Another scholars draw against Brentford. Standard, they are unbeaten run in the Premier League to four games. And caretaker manager Gary O'Neill... Can can they can he be the man to take Bournemouth to bigger heights? You think, Alvin? Uh, it's tough because Bournemouth are very very close to being taken over by American billionaire, yep. uh, and that's going to be it's whenever you have that scenario. And I think that's what happened to Thomas Tuchel. Whenever you have new bo- a new board that comes in and does a takeover, more often than not, they would want their own man into that into that scenario. Uh, the gentleman that's coming in, uh, he owns the Las Vegas team in America. He is a very flamboyant. A person, Bill Foley, he would want a superstar name. Gary O'Neill, for his time as a professional, was a, a, a battle-hardened player, a player that you could depend on, but never really spectacular. But I feel that's what Bournemouth did because mm. that, that squad for me is just it's just not Premier League material in, in, in any sense. So you need someone who will kind of play conservatively, kind of close out shop, get these points that you can kind of get. I went into this thinking that Brentford would, but clearly both sides were lacking cutting edge. And I and that really surprised me, especially with Brentford, because you had Ivan Tony, who is another one who's knocking on the door to be to get into that England squad, but he can't. And I agree. I I, I was I read Garrett Southgate's comments and sometimes when you look at these players that play well for their club, he comes out and he says that we play players on form. But then he kind of contradicts himself and says, don't forget the last six years for the players that have got us to semi-finals and finals. Right. I, I have trust in these players. I get it. It's important to have that 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 old guard that you trust. But if they're not playing well for their club, if they, some of them can't even get into the first level for their squad, how are they going to perform against the top-level opposition at the World Cup? So that part for me, Salke loses it for me. And Ivan Tony is another one that I feel should be in the squad because he gives something a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, you're right in th- on that point about Southgate. I feel that Southgate is sometimes a bit too sentimental in terms of his yeah. selection of players. But on to Brentford now. They have kept their first Premier League clean sheet away from home in almost a year. Sean, where do you think these two, Bournemouth and Brentford, will end up come the end of the season? I think you'll see Brentford in pretty much the same thereabout position as they are now, around mid-table. 
with Bournemouth, like Arvin was saying earlier, I've seen them play about two times or three times this season. They really don't have what it takes to stay in this league. I think Scott Parker, part of his whole, you know, leaving was the fact that he couldn't invest into the team yeah. as much as he wanted to. And it shows. I mean, he knew this team wasn't ready to play in the Premier League. It's a matter of how far down they're going to go, right? Whether they go rock bottom and how fast it's going to happen. Because hmm. that 9-0, was it against Liverpool? 9-0? It's not going to be a one-off. City is the, I think City has to play them. Arsenal will play them. United will play them. And these teams are not going to take it easy on you, right? The fact they got a draw against Brentford is very impressive, right? Ivan Tony could have smashed them if he wanted to. But these are the kind of games where you hold on to because come in the end of the season, it could be very important. Hmm. But I don't see them being able to, to hold on so come January, you could already see them struggling. Mm, sounds like a job again for Harry Redknapp <laughs> or Sam Allardyce. <laughs> uh, we head now, Fulham, who sit in eight. Uh, I think it's a surprise package for, for many uh, this season. Fulham, they went down against Newcastle 4-1. Eddie Howe side, really good. Um, and, you know, be- before the game, there was news about Alexander Isaac, um, San Maximin and Joe Linton were all out of the game. So you always wonder, you know, you had Callum Wilson at nine, but who is going to yeah. turn up um, for the game? And the old faithful Miguel Almiron with a brace, you know, uh, I think he, he was the man of the match, wasn't he, uh, for this game, Alvin? Oh, yeah, he was. And that, that one goal from the outside of his foot was absolutely exceptional. Yeah. So great goal for Miguel Almiron. Almiron's always been a runner. He's always been someone that puts in a shift, but the output hasn't been enough. And that's what some of the Magpies fans have always felt about him. Mm. Uh, Callum Wilson as well. Uh, Sean Long stopped scoring as well. That, that, that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, but if there was ever a squad that needed a first-half nightmare, I mean, Leeds lost Luis Sinistera, but if you ever needed a first-half nightmare, would be losing Nathaniel Chaloba so yeah. early in the game to yeah. a red card. And then on top of that, when you lose Alexander Mitrovic to an injury, it feels already that you're down to nine men. So it's the first home loss of the season. Um, but and when everything that you think could go wrong did go wrong for, for Fulham, but other than that, I, I, when you look at the three promoter teams, for me, they are the ones that have really staked their claim and said, we have learned from seasons before and we're going to stay up this season. We're not going to go down. Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth, for me, I, I feel are really in trouble. Mm. But Fulham have, have got good things going for them. And it's just unfortunate what had happened on the day. Newcastle are um, needing to turn that draw specialist tag for them into wins. And that's what they did. Only the second win of the season. But when you look at some of the players, he made changes. And that's what I like about Eddie Howe. He, he takes risks and he gets rewarded more often than he gets penalised for it. Brought in the likes of Sven Botman into the squad. Sven Botman, for me, is their best defender. Comes in, plays really, really well. Uh, Joel Linton dropped. Matt Target dropped. I think it was even Ryan Fraser that was on the bench. Sven Botman came in. Sean Longstaff came in and scored. So, Eddie Howe, great managerial, but Fulham, nightmare, nightmare first half that was for them. Yeah, yeah. Joe Willick as well, I, I think, on that day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Joe Willick as well, correct. He, he really performed. But, uh, Sean, on yeah. to uh, Arvin's point on Fulham. Um, do you agree that this is just a blip in the season and they will be thereabouts mid-table coming end of the season? I think, you know, when the, the start of the season came by, I was one of those that went, yeah, Fulham is probably back in to go back down again and then Norwich will take over their place, <laughs> which has been happening for like the last three, four seasons. But there's something that's changed in this team. I think the signing of, what's his name, Palinia, has been an mm. astute yeah, signing, mm. brilliant mm. signing. He's made that midfield look so much better. And Mitrovic, I mean, he didn't score in this game, but you know he's, he's, he's thereabouts right now. The red card so early on, that's, that's, that, that ruined the game for them already, mm. right? If they were to even be able to walk away with a draw, it would have been good. And it's, it is a blip. 
because you're seeing a very different Fulham right now. One that's entertaining to watch, one that's willing to bust their gut in every game. And they've got really good players this time about. That's the big difference between them and I think Burnmouth. Because if you look at a few seasons back, you look at Fulham and you go, yeah, they don't really have you know, the best possible team to take them throughout the whole season. Mm. But I look at them now, they look more like a team than they do just individuals. So I think this, they'll, they'll be fine. Mid-table. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they sit in 8th now Fulham while Newcastle leapfrogged them to 7 after this result I'm going to head now to the St. Mary Southampton 1 Everton 2 back-to-back victories for Frank Lampard Alvin is trouble brewing in Southampton they lost 7 of their past 10 games at the St. Mary's yeah the booze at the end are growing week on week for Ralph Hassan Hotel um, and it's a reality of the Premier League if you don't take your chances you get punished and they did because Southampton had a couple of chances uh, for their, their lack of quality at the front of goal. And obviously, we have grown to expect this. Jordan Bigfoot will always, always save Everton points. But they are slowly, as week goes by, there's a lot of growing resentment towards Ralph Hassan Hotel. And I've always put it down to the fact that the day that he came out and said that he might retire from football sooner rather than later, I, I just don't see the need for managers to do it. Because when you do it, you give players the sense that, oh, the guy might not be here for a while more. Why do I need to bust my gut for him? I could mm. be playing for a new manager in a couple of months. I always feel in management, that's one thing that you don't do. You don't put your cards out to say that I've got less commitment because I might not be here for a long period of time. I feel since he's done that, it's been a losing battle for Ralph Hassan Hotel and for Southampton. But for Everton, I mean, this is... This one stat in football stats sometimes just completely, completely throw you off off the wagon. Everton's got the second best defense in the Premier League right no. now. <laughs> yes, I and I saw that. I, I was I, I could not believe it, and it's down to him going out and getting. He's been fortunate. He's gone and got James Starskowski, who's got relegated. He's found Connor Cody, who was not wanted at Wolves. And when you've got two hardened players like that in the middle, with Jordan Pickford at the back. Idris Ganagay was not needed by, by, by PSG anymore. Everton fans love him. He's got a strong spine. Somehow, Lampard has stumbled upon this and he's made Everton. And that's that's a scary stat. I was quite unbelieved by that stat when I read it over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, early in the season, there were a lot of question marks, right, about Frank Lampard. Um, Sean, do you think Everton would um, end well the season? You look at how much he's... The, the amount of players he's brought in, right? He's brought in some really good players. I, I'd look back a few weeks ago before you know there was a break in the Merseyside derby. They worked really hard to get a draw against Liverpool in a game where they could have won. And I think a player that deserves a lot of credit, thanks to Frank Lampard, is Alex Iwobi. Hmm. He's changed his position, played him in midfield now, and he's dictated play. I don't know whether it's because of aging legs or whatever, but he looks like a completely different player. So, you know, Lampard deserves credit for those kind of things. But I say come the you know mid-season, end-season, that's when we start talking about it. Because things can be going good now, right? But all it takes is for one loss. Something I've realised with Everton is one loss, and then it just trickles down after that. So, Frank Lampard will be tested. You know, right uh, now, I mean, it's going good. I made an error. Everton have got the best defence in the Premier League. No. <laughs> They're not even second best. They're the best defence in the Premier League. Better than City, better than Chelsea, better than Liverpool. Wow. Everton's got the best defence in the Premier League. Only seven goals scored, but they've only led in seven. So. 
Frank Lampard, <laughs> the genius, the genius. <laughs> right, coming up, we're going to be looking at a pick of games around Europe with Arvin and Sean. This is Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. We're back on Just for Kicks. My name's Daryl with Arvin Sidhu and Sean Malhotra. Now we're going to look at the continent, uh, some picks uh, of European matches over the weekend. We're going to start off with La Liga. Uh, Arvin, your second team, Real Madrid 1, Osasuna 1. Uh, Madrid missed their chance to solidify the lead at the top of the table Benzema miss a penalty Alvin yeah um, and on the back of him potentially winning the Ballon d'Or not very very soon that was the most unfortunate thing for him but this was always going to happen it's it's tough to to maintain a 100% record both in the league and in the Champions League but this just makes for great viewing in La Liga because Barcelona have gone on top right now because of goal difference and they've got the same record as Real Madrid in terms of number of wins and the one draw that they have uh, but Real were missing. They they were missing Modric. Uh, Courtois pulled up as an injury early, early before the game. So these games happen. It's very difficult to maintain that consistency of winning every every league game and every Champions League game. Mm. But at home to Mallorca, you would have expected them to get the three points, and you would have banked your house. I mean, even if Benzema wasn't fit and he had just come back, you still would put it on him to put it away. It's just one of those days. It didn't happen. But you've got a very very strong challenger in Barcelona right now yeah I don't at, rem- least, at least in the league right? at least yeah. yeah I don't remember the last time Benzema missed the penalty not gonna exactly. lie exactly yeah must yeah. be a long long time ago uh, but yeah. but Sean Barcelona can they go on to win the La Liga you think I think there's every chance they can you know I think this is for great viewing right you finally have a Barcelona team that's able to compete again with Real Madrid whether or not they can maintain that I don't think they have a squad that's you know strong in depth you have players who are very susceptible to injuries. Uh, for example, Ansu Fati. A little touch on him and he's gone for six months mm. or five months, mm. which is really unfortunate for, for young players like this. But they hit goal by getting Robert Lewandowski, right? Yeah. With him, goals are guaranteed. It's like Haaland. You put him in any other league, he's going to score you goals. Yeah. Same thing with Lewandowski. Mm. But whether or not they can keep this momentum up with the Champions League that's also running... And when the Copa del Rey starts, whether or not they can shift that team around as much as they can and keep everyone fit. Because if they can keep uh, Kunde fit, uh, Araujo fit, Lewandowski, Lewandowski is the biggest one. If they lose Lewandowski, I don't think there's a suitable replacement that's going to get you two goals a game, maybe, or a goal a game. Mm. You lose these players to injury, I think that's where Barcelona will start to struggle. They Mm. don't have that depth. But if all these guys stay fit, they'll be pushing Real Madrid till the end of the season. That's for sure. Mm, it's going to be a tasty finish to the Liga this season. Uh, we move to Germany now, the Bundesliga. FC Cologne 3, Borussia Dortmund 2. Duke Bellingham captain his side for the first time. Um, Dortmund, would you say, Arvin, that they've been quite fragile this recently? This perhaps a lack of mental fortitude, you think? Yeah. Um, and it's been like that for a couple of seasons right now. When you have a season where Julian Nagelsmann and Bayern take a while. They went on a, a, a run of three to four games of not winning, which is very unlike Bayern. You need, you need the, 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 the second-tier teams or the teams at least that are competing against Bayern or would try to compete against Bayern to continue their momentum. And and Dortmund, for me, season on season, they're always their own worst enemy. I, I cannot understand how someone like Manuel Akanji, who I've never been a big fan of, I, I've never thought much of Manuel Akanji, but he's a completely different player in Dortmund and a completely different player under under Pep at City. I mean, Pep would make any player a great player. Mm. But Dortmund going away at Cologne, losing 3-2, these are the type of games you need to kind of you need to kind of avoid because it's a bitter, bitter collapse when these things happen. Uh, and they miss their chance to go on top. 
these kind of things psychologically they always come back to hurt Dortmund. Mm. So for me, it just doesn't bode well. Um, there's not enough consistency. We know the script every season. Even it's a matter of losing someone like Jaden Sancho, which they did two years ago, losing Haaland last season. We know they will lose Jude Bellingham at the end of this season as well. It's a similar script, but Dortmund. They're just their own worst enemy, in my opinion, because they just don't have that consistency to challenge Bayern. Mm. One who do have a consistency, those like you mentioned, Bayern Munich, four, Bayer Leverkusen, nil. Sean, Jamal Musiala, what a player. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. At his age, to show the maturity he has, to be playing the way he is, to be in that Bayern first team yeah. is so impressive. Mm. He deserves all the plaudits. To be playing for the German first team, and not just playing for the German first team, but playing well. You know, it's... It's one of those fairy tale stories that you wish goes on and on. Because players like this deserve it. They work hard to get into those positions. Because let's face it, Bayern Munich has an unbelievably stacked midfield. Yeah. And for this kid to go through and to be playing in that team, it's a great achievement for them. And you look at that Bayern Munich team, they should be putting teams away. Their attack alone, yeah, you lose Lewandowski, but you've got Mane, Sane, Muller. I can keep going on. There's so many players that can get you goals, yeah. right? Mm. The fact that they're not top of the table at the moment... It's a surprise for me. That's why it's beautiful. Because I, I think it was, what, eight, nine years ago or something like that when Dortmund won the league. Ever since then, it's just been Bayern, Bayern, um, Bayern, Bayern winning every season. So I want to see teams pushing Bayern. Yeah. The one thing I've realised with Dortmund, even since last season, once they lose, they go into like a bad rut. They start drawing games, they'll start losing games here and there. And this is with Haaland in the team. Without him now, I don't know. You got to push Bayern as much as you can. To the Serie A now, Inter Milan 1, AS Roma 2. Um, Jose Mourinho's side came away from San Siro with all three points. I think I saw a video where he was suspended, right? So he was watching on the, in the bus outside the stadium or uh, something like that. Uh, it's their first win against Inter Milan since February 2017. Roma 6, Inter 9. Is Inter struggling, in your opinion, Alvin? Yeah, and Simone Inzaghi, there's been quite a lot of talk that maybe potentially he could be let go at Inter as well. That the bringing back Romano Lukaku has not worked. Mm. Obviously, Lukaku has been injured as well, but the times that he's been on the pitch for the very little time has not done it. Not He's not done justice. It doesn't feel like the, the effort that they've done to, to bring him back, even though financially it was, it was much of a benefit to Inter, has not worked. Uh, but these are the stories that you like, right? You like you like seeing Jose Moreno when he wins the Conference League last season, when he he enjoys a pizza in, in a bus, and now he he watches a game outside the stadium because he's banned from the stadium. <laughs> I believe when they lost to Atlanta 1-0, that's when he got sent off for dissent. And then you look at the players that he's kind of turned around, Chris Smalling scoring the winner, Paulo Dybala, choosing Paulo Dybala could have gone to any other Italian club yeah. but I honestly believe he went to Roma because of Jose Marino and for him to to hug his staff members to to meet fans these there are very few characters left in the game like Jose Marino in my opinion at least at a managerial level and it would have helped him so much because he's still got a very soft spot for Inter let's never forget his achievements at Inter that he's done but to go there and to win the way that he did yeah, it just, just brings a smile on any casual football fan's face, in my opinion. On to France now. Uh, PSG 2, Nice 1, Kylian Mbappe and Lionel Messi scoring the goals. Uh, what are your thoughts on this match, Sean? Messi had an unbelievable goal. I, I I seem to be saying that week in, week out. He keeps doing things that, you know, can't explain. And it took him time to get settled in in France. Everyone can call it a farmer's league if they want. Mm-hmm. But you still got to perform, right? And we know Leo Messi is one to always perform. And he's showing that at PSG now. 
I still think, yeah, you know, the table may show that Marseille are only two points behind PSG, but give it like another two more months, you'll see PSG winning the league already. It's I I look at it as they are a shoe-in to win the league every season. It's a bit like Bayern in, in, in Germany. They will only ever be judged on how they perform in the Champions League. I'm slowly starting to think that way about Manchester City as well, right? You can say the Premier League is a lot more competitive, but Pep's biggest like want is the Champions League. Similar to what the Qatar group won with PSG, Champions League is the most important. We've seen great managers go there and not win the Champions League. Ancelotti, Tuchel, doesn't matter. So to me, it's like they're a shoe-in to win the league, but how are they going to perform in the Champions League? Will they go all the way this season? I doubt it. But, I mean, it's a good win for them. They've won the league by next month. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is the ultimate prize, isn't it? The Champions League. You're not a good manager if you don't win the Champions League. Yep. (laughs) That's what they say, right? Uh, In other news, in Malaysia, JDT secured their ninth straight Super League title after a 5 new win against Nagari Sambilan. Any thoughts on this, Alvin? Uh, for me, the, the level of investment in that squad, uh, the facilities that they have. I mean, I, th- I believe they, they won this with with four games to spare. I think Sabah is the title challengers. They they lost. They ended. They they are they are they challenged. Ended because of a loss. For me, just JDT on on not just a local front, but also at a regional front, just are starting to move way above everyone else in the Malaysian league. Uh, I mean, you look at their overall record. I mean, I, I think they're undefeated in the Malaysian top league this season. They've like drawn four. They've won fourteen. In that sense, they, they're just a, a level above everyone else right now, and that's what's concerning for me in the Malaysian league as well. You have one team that's so above everyone else, and then you've got others. It's not good. For the local league, you need more competitive teams. So for me, I don't see things changing much differently next season. Yeah, JDT seems to be building a team not just for ASEAN, but for Asia, right, Sean? I mean, it's the same way I look at PSG. You have a team (laughs) that's stacked with talent, stacked with investment, stacked with all those facilities. They're going to win, right? On a a domestic front, they're going to win it all. But you look at it in a bigger sense. I look at it as the same way PSG for the Champions League. I look at it as the AFC Champions League for, yeah. for JDT. That's the one. If they can nail that, then you say like, damn, that's one hell of a team. right? Mm. But like Arvin said, you don't want to just see one team have all this investment, all this stuff, and then they're just going to keep winning the league every season. right? You want other teams to have that same amount of investment or something enough to challenge JDT. If I'm not mistaken, I followed JDT for the last three years. It's been smooth sailing. Yeah. They have nothing to worry about. No sweat. They know they're going to win the, the league by the day that the first game starts. Mm. But you don't want that to happen. But and it's, it's when not, it's going to change, it's a thing. And it's not just happening at, at the senior level. You look at JDT too. Yeah. They also won the Premier League. Right. I think after they beat Slang over the weekend. So it's not just happening at the top level. You've got scenarios where the clubs, uh, the clubs reserve team and the under-23s, they're, they're all winning. And that's... That's for me very good for JDT, but not very good else for the rest of the league. All right. On that note, I will say come to the end of just for kids. Going to say thanks to my two prong attack of pundits this evening, Sean Mahotra, season debut. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Looking forward to more. Hopefully not after another derby defeat. <laughs> <laughs> Alvin, thank you so much. Take care, everyone. We'll speak soon. Cam will be back, but my name has been Daryl Ong right here on Just for Kicks, BFM eighty nine point nine.